You're listening to That Music Podcast with Bryson Tarvin, the curriculum designer and educational consultant behind That Music Teacher and the Elementary Music Summit. Each week, Bryson and his guests will dive into the reality of being an elementary music teacher and how music can truly be transformative in the lives of the students you serve. Show notes and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at thatmusicteacher.com. This episode is not one that you're going to want to miss. It is a wonderful conversation with Jen Rafferty on the, <laughs> the, the trap of trying to find balance as a teacher, especially a music teacher. And I think what my favorite part of this conversation is, is that it doesn't try to ignore the fact that teachers are overworked and we are often asked to do things that, you know, aren't necessarily sustainable. And this, this conversation is just the beginning of a way to find some ways to regain some clarity in our life so that we can make room for what's important in our life while also making sure that we are not on that path to burnout. And if we are, to somehow get our way, get ourselves off of that path to burnout so that we can have a sustainable career that we really truly enjoy. Jen Rafferty is a presenter and author who began her career as a middle school music teacher in central New York. Jen brings her energy, humor, and expertise to all of her professional workshops. She's known for her practical ideas and passion in her presentations while inspiring teachers to stay connected to their why. Jen is a certified emotional intelligence practitioner and is currently pursuing her PhD in educational psychology. Her most recent publication is A Place in the Staff, Finding Your Way as a Music Teacher, available at J.W. Pepper and Amazon. She's also the executive producer and host of the podcast Take Notes, which highlights the intersection between music education and the social sciences. Her love for teaching and insatiable curiosity has led her to develop the Empowered Educator Program for teachers of all content areas to elevate how they can show up for themselves and for their students so they can thrive as they maintain longevity throughout their careers. Without further ado, here is this amazing conversation with Jen Rafferty. Hello and welcome to this episode of That Music Podcast. I am super excited to have Jen Rafferty back on the podcast, this time talking about teacher burnout and what we can do as educators to make sure that we are not pouring from an empty cup. So Jen, thank you so much for joining me and I can't wait to get started. My pleasure. One of my favorite topics. So let's do it. <laughs> All right. Before we get started, in case people don't know you or didn't catch your last episode on That Music Podcast, can you let us know, remind us who you are and what you do? Sure. So I started my career in central New York as a middle school music teacher, primarily. I taught general music and choir and started a modern band program at my school. And, you know, I did... <laughs> When I, when I went to college, I did really well, right? I did everything that I was expected to do. And I thought I was really good at it. And when I got into my classroom for the very first time, I felt so unprepared. I realized that I had no idea who my kids were. And I was angry about it. I was really mad. And so it actually drove me to do a lot of research about brain development, particularly adolescent brain development, because I was thinking that if I understood where my kids were developmentally, then I would be able to teach them better. So that's been kind of a running theme throughout my career. And then during COVID, I decided to stay home and homeschool my own two children and started my PhD in educational psychology. I became certified as an emotional intelligence practitioner, dove into mindset work, and now I have 
just about to get my certification in a program called Mind Magic as a practitioner. And so now I teach teachers and school leaders through my company, Empowered Educator, about how to take care of their own social emotional well-being by leveraging those concepts of mindset and emotional intelligence and cognitive neuroscience. And a big piece of that is understanding what burnout is and how to reduce and, of course, prevent it from happening in the first place. I love that story. I love how you're you're coming at the idea of burnout from this kind of scientific approach rather than just kind of what we can see necessarily. Um, so I can't wait to dive into that. Um, but I think it's really important for us to talk about burnout. And, you know, especially after the last couple of years during COVID, we had, you know, so many things, you know, give yourself grace and make sure you're not pouring from an empty cup. But the reality is, is educators, even before COVID started making these issues even more noticeable and even more exacerbated, there's been this cycle of not supporting teachers or teachers not supporting their own mental health. Um, and that, that burnout has been really, really rampant. So I'm really interested to know what really got you interested in, in kind of getting out of the music classroom and talking about creating resources and trainings for burnout. Well, because it's not sustainable. (laughs) (laughs) For sure. (laughs) What we're doing isn't working. And I think one of the lessons that I learned during COVID was well there are there are certainly a lot i will just put that out there one of the loudest for me was i took a step back to really take stock of what my life was what was important to me at the time and what choices i was going to make to align with the person who i wanted to be and one of the choices that i made during that time was i actually kept my kids home to homeschool them in 20 20, 20 to 21 school year because I couldn't believe that we were just going to go back to school business as usual, but with masks on and social distancing. And from where I was standing, especially as a music teacher, you know, I, I was thinking to myself, am I the only one who's just noticing that all the furniture is on the ceiling? Like, what, what is happening here? You know, we know better. Why aren't we doing better? And again, it, I was angry <laughs> and, and I was really in touch with that feeling of like, this isn't right. I need to either be part of the problem or be part of the solution. And I was fortunate enough that I was able to make that choice for myself and for my family. And my contribution to this problem was to do what I'm doing now. Um, A lot of people who are still in the classroom are contributing to the solution in ways that are boots on the ground. And we really are all in this together. And we need to do this in our own ways that make sense for us. And for me, this was how I was going to go about solving this problem. I I can't get over the fact of, you know, you're like how you started out that answer, you know, this isn't sustainable. And I think as educators, we knew this for years. And then, you know, like we've talked about a little bit before, you know, COVID happened and everything became super, super aware, you know, we became aware of just how unsustainable it was. And somehow we had more that was added onto us. And I'm not saying that teachers were the only ones that had, you know, the trauma of going through COVID, because that clearly isn't the case. Um, But I like how you talk about how you were all kind of being part of the solution or part of the problem and kind of figuring out where we fit in that spectrum, I think is really interesting um, to think about. So I want to shift into our main conversation about burnout for teachers, um, but I want us to. He- I want your opinion. What is your definition? Your working definition of the word burnout. So burnout for me is this perpetual state of being, of overwhelming exhaustion and depletion, 
and yet continuing to try to pour from the empty vessel. That's the state of affairs of a lot of how teachers are existing right now. And the the biggest piece of this is that we do this in the name of selflessness and we do this in the name of martyrdom and we do this because we're doing it for the kids. <laughs> but from where I'm standing and what I know about our nervous system and our bodies and our brains and what we need as human beings is that the work that I do really challenges that idea and says that the most generous thing you can do for your students is take care of yourself, period. Unless you are feeling satiated, excited, inspired, whole, ready to go, worthy, enough, your kids are getting a shadow of your potential. And I know, especially teachers, but especially as music teachers, you did not get into this profession unless you wanted to make a difference and an impact in the communities and with the kids that you serve. And in the name of selflessness, what you're actually doing is you're preventing yourself from making that impact. So we need to flip this script on what this looks like and understand that you can't do the things you want to do unless you start taking care of yourself. It baffles me completely <laughs> when you're thinking it, because obviously we wouldn't have gone into teaching had we not enjoyed working with our students. You know, that's kind of one of the main things we do as teachers. But the reality is, is we're not in, you know, this isn't a service-based industry. It's teaching, you know, we're in here not to make an impact, but we're here, you know, at the basis of it, we're here so that we can pay our bills. Obviously there are a lot of different ways that we could choose to pay our bills. So I'm glad that I get to, you know, make music with students every day. But the reality is, is that, you know, we need to make sure that we're balancing all the different things that we have in our life. So I love how you brought up the idea of, you know, how we have to make sure that we're not being martyrs and we're not coming, kind of pouring from that empty vessel. And because when, even if you're there, even if you're at school, if you are in a grumpy mood, if you haven't slept in two days, your lessons are going to be, aren't going to be great. Your interactions with your students aren't going to be great. And when it comes down to it, you're not going to give the students what they deserve. I think a lot about, you know, the, the adage of, you know, put on your own mask before you put on the oxygen mask of the person next to you. And, you know, whether or not we're on an airplane going down or not, I'll leave that up to interpretation. But I think it's important for us to realize that we do truly have to take care of ourselves first, or we're not going to be able to take that next step and to create that impact that we want with our students. A hundred percent. And we, we all know that phrase, right? It's like a lovely thing to say. <laughs> but I think part of the reason why we don't do it is that we don't know how. We don't know what that even looks like, right? For sure. And like, I, I think back to my own experience, you know, teaching during COVID, you know, the amount of times we heard, you know, take care of yourself, make sure you're you know, taking self-care and things like that. But then we're keep, we're keep getting more and more on our plate with less and less supports. And you're like, well, these, what you're at, what these actions are really making and what you're saying, they're not lining up. And it was kind of one of those things, of, you know, at me as, you know, as a, as a person, I'm like, I don't know how to put myself first. I don't know how to make sure that I am taking care of myself. I keep hearing that I should, but what does that really mean? So I would love to kind of talk a little bit about why teacher burnout has been such a hot button issue lately. Do you think it's more of a problem or if it's the same kind of problem, but it's just becoming more of, of, of a, a visible issue? I'd love to kind of hear your thoughts on that. 
Sure. Well, the reason why we don't know how to take care of ourselves is because we were never taught, <laughs> right? I mean, you know, it's so interesting to me when the people in our lives say, well, you just got to take care of yourself. You're like, okay, so, you know, I go home and I sleep all weekend and I don't get out of my bed. Is that taking care of myself? You know, I treated myself to a whole apple pie this afternoon. Is that taking care of myself? You know, and um, I say these things kind of in jest because those are things that I have done, <laughs> right? In the name of self-care and, you know, okay, fine, I'll go get the massage um, or I'll go get my nails done. But like, what happens the next day, right? Um, so to answer your question about that, we don't know because we were never taught, which is again, why learning these things as educators is so important, not just to increase your capacity to hold space for your students and do your job and create impact, but to model these behaviors for the little people that we interact with every day so they understand what the phrase self-care actually means. And it doesn't become this platitude of like, oh, well, you just self-care yourself out of these problems of burnout. It doesn't work that way. There's this beautiful article that um, Amelia Nagowski just um, came out with. It was an interview with The Atlantic. And, you know, the cure to burnout, the, the title of this was the cure to burnout was, isn't self-care. And while I agree with that on all of the levels, the things that she was explaining in that article, in my mind, in my world, are the self-care things. Um, so those things are learning the skills about self-awareness, understanding what activates you in real time knowing the self-regulation tools of how to manage and regulate your nervous system so you're not feeling activated in those moments. Understanding that the language you use is more powerful than you ever realized. So if you're thinking stressed, you're feeling stressed. If you're thinking overwhelmed, you're speaking overwhelmed, you're feeling overwhelmed. Um, these are the things and the pieces of learning about ourselves as humans and how our brains work to me, that is like an overarching theme of self-care. Um, so that's the first thing. And then the second thing, you know, you said is, is burnout new? Is this, you know, just highlighted now? Burnout isn't new, you know, especially teachers, especially as teachers who are women, especially as teachers who are women and moms, or if you're a teacher and any kind of parents, you know, and I just say this um, because it's important that we talk about, you know, the, the female experience and all of this too, there is a piece of us that we just, it's, it is easier and we've believed that it has been, been easier to put other people's comfort level ahead of our own. We have been taught that it is more important to be nice than to speak up and potentially cause a conflict. And because of these things that we've been taught in the world that we brought up, that we've been brought up in, it has perpetuated the problem because we haven't been using our voice in a way that really advocates for the things that we actually need. And now everything's on fire. Yeah, I, I, yeah, the everything is on fire is something that I, I, I feel like we've we've talked a lot about the last couple of years is, you know, well, how are things? Ah, everything's on fire, you know, but you brought up a lot of really good points. Um, one thing that I couldn't help thinking of during all that is how all of this is systemic in so many different ways. Um, you, you know, in one way, just thinking about how 
how you get a, a music degree and the unhealthy things that we're expected to do, you know, taking that many credits, taking classes for zero credits, you know, doing, you know, fitting in what really should be a five or six year degree into four years and, you know, being expected to be in all the ensembles, all the clubs, doing all these leadership things. And then we get into the real world and we're like, well, yeah, I can do all these things. And then we realize, hey, we are, it hasn't been sustainable in undergrad. It wasn't going to be sustainable in the real world. But that's what we see modeled for us. That's what we see as society expecting from us as teachers. And I think you bring up a really good point where a lot of it comes down to, um, you know, teaching being a, a historically female occupation and the the types of expectations that society has put on educators, specifically female educators that have just kind of lived in and kind of have been baked into what it means to be a teacher and the expectations we have. Um, so there's so much to unpack there. In a lot of different ways, yeah. um, I just think there's so much work to be done. Oh, a hundred percent. And and here's the thing that I that I offer, right? It's what if there was another way? <laughs> what if instead of counting the amount of credits that you have and the number of ensembles that you're in and the number of after school clubs you're in charge of and the number of this and, and that and how many this and how many committees and da, 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 da. I mean, we're all just like collecting these external things to validate some sort of uh, affirmation of our worth when we do this, right? What if we just put that all aside for a second and took a breath and really thought, well, what if my number one priority, what if the way that I d- define success was that how I got to feel throughout the day. So for me, and this is something that I have learned throughout my journey, through the work that I've done, because I do every single thing that I teach and guide other educators to do myself. My definition of success is the amount of hours that I get to spend in a day feeling the way that I want to feel. That's it. That's it. And if that means that I put my computer down at three o'clock, then that's what that means. Some days that means that I don't put my computer down until eight o'clock. But my number one priority is my emotional state. Because when I focus on what I need and put myself first, put on my oxygen mask first, everybody around me wins. Because when I don't, I show up again as a shadow of myself. So I'm snapping at my kids. I'm not even eating right because I don't feel good. I'm disconnected from my friends and my family, and I'm not actually showing up the way that I want to anyway. That's not working anymore. So I, I, my role, and I encourage everyone who's listening to just consider, what if you change your definition of success? I'll be honest. I am in that part of my life where I'm trying to figure out what success is for me. <laughs> I I embody all of those overachiever vibes and I try to do too much. I know I do too much, but you know, that's where right now at least I find a lot of my worth, which I know is another another thing to unpack. Um, but I, I know that personally, I, especially in the last couple of years have experienced a lot of burnout and it was one of those things that kind of snuck up on me and I didn't realize was an issue until it was really an issue. So I would love to be able to dive into what about some of the, the symptoms of burnout, especially those early on symptoms that we might be able to catch before things get a little bit too far out of hand. Sure. I do want to just for just a hot second, go back to what you're saying, because this is a theme that comes up over and over again is tying our external successes to worth 
that is one of those causes of burnout. Because when we're always looking for external validation, we're always chasing it. And that's exhausting. You are worthy. You are enough. You are valuable. You matter just because you are. Period. That is it. And once you that like that is the work, right? Like this is the thing. So burnout is a symptom. Burnout isn't isn't the house. Burnout's the fire, <laughs> right? But there was something going on that needed addressing that might have perpetuated the fire. To be clear, and I really want to, like for the people in the back, no one's broken, right? We don't need saving, we don't need fixing. We are beautifully human. And this is the human experience. Leaning in to this and understanding and how to unpack this is part of our journey as human beings. And there's so much joy and beauty in that. And particularly as teachers, we get to do this and model this again for the, all of the little people that come into our lives right? This is how we make change. So as far as, you know, what you were saying, what is the, what are some of the the symptoms that we might feel about burnout? I'll tell you what, the first place to look is your body. (laughs) It's your body because your body is where the feelings are. We are feeling beings that think, not the other way around. And you can't see your thoughts, but you can feel your feelings. And when you are in tune to how your body is feeling, that is the gateway to how you're thinking. So start to notice, gosh, you know, I am, I'm finding that it's hard to breathe sometimes. Great information. Now what are we going to do about it? Right. I'm finding that my shoulders are up to my ears when I get in my car on the way home. Wonderful observation. (laughs) Now you have a chance to do something about it. My stomach is in knots. I have headaches all the time. I'm not eating right. I can't sleep. I'm sweaty, right? Our body talks to us all the time. We are terrible listeners. So what's the way to find out if you're like feeling symptoms of burnout? Got to listen to your body. I love how you you didn't just say, well, listen to your body. You said, all right, now listen and then do something about it. Because I think that's something personally I do all the time. Like, wow, I've had migraines six out of the seven days this week. Okay. And then just do nothing about it. Well, Well, clearly that's not right. Clearly there's something wrong. What can I do about that? Can I make sure that I'm drinking more water? Can I take some moments to relax? Am I doing too much screen time? And you know, what are the different things that I can do so that I don't have migraines six out of the seven days? And, you know, listening to your body and not just hearing it, I think is a really um, important thing for us to do, especially when we're kind of in those situations where, you know, just we're going to have more stress to begin with. Like if you're in a concert stage or, you know, around the holidays, things tend to get a little wild. Um, so I, I love that you brought up the, you know, what are we going to do with that information side of it too? You're right. Because, okay, so let's just take that example. Huh, that's interesting. I've had migraines six out of seven days of the week. Oh, well. And you keep going. Like, let's just play that scenario out, Right. Your body is going to get to the point where it's going to force you to stop if you don't listen to it, right? I mean, we know what that's like. We get sick, right? Um, Or if you're me, you know, my back goes out. That's the way that I experience that moment when my body's like, Jen, you need to stop. (laughs) Now it's it's over. We're done. You need to to take a break. So this is really about loving yourself so much 
that when your body is speaking to you, you drop everything and you listen to it because not listening to it is going to make it worse. And it's actually not a sustainable model because it perpetuates those feelings of, of those disempowering, low level, burning out emotions that we don't want to feel. So in those moments of awareness, right, what I love to share with people who are kind of new to this work is pause, acknowledge, give yourself a little yay me because <laughs> you went from something that was a subconscious. Now all of a sudden you see your conscious awareness, you, you, you are aware of it, which is great. So con- celebrate that. Congratulations. We did it. Yay. And then you need to actually regulate your nervous system because in those moments of stress, your nervous system is reacting the same way as if you are being chased by a bear. And, you know, this isn't an exaggeration, right? Our, this part of our brain hasn't evolved very much since the days we were hunting and gathering and being chased by bears. So when we're feeling this way in our body, your brain literally thinks you're going to die. However, because we can just continue on this world and just teach the classes and drive the cars and do the things and cook the dinners, we do. And we are just consistently in this activated state of survival. You cannot function that way and think clearly and be creative and problem solve and organize and prioritize. You owe it to yourself because you're worthy and you owe it to the people around you because you want to have an impact to take those moments of awareness and regulate your nervous system. And you can do that a bunch of different ways. My favorite and the easiest way to do is just put your hands on your heart. Remember, you have a body (laughs) and just take a breath. In fact, take three. And I use a box breath in these moments where we inhale for four, pause for four, exhale for four, pause for four. We do that three times. And when you start to do this regularly, you realize that this nervous system regulation is going to be the thing that will help you decide what to do next. And for me, I put in four alarms throughout my, in my phone that go off throughout the day and just reminds me to breathe. It's like, the, the, the little sound goes off and the message is like, hey, girl, looking good. Don't forget to breathe. <laughs> and that's what I do. Um, and when I was in the classroom, Bryson, I would do this with my kids because this collective self-regulation, this co-regulation was super important. And it empowered them to have a self-regulation skill that they could take with them after they left your class. I'll be honest. I'm always one like I can, I can pretty well look at a class and say, all right, we need to take a moment and breathe, but I'm the worst at doing the same thing for me, even though I know that it's the same, like the same signs. I'm just so far removed sometimes that, or, or even sometimes I'm just so far close to it that I can't, you know, see the writing on the wall. So I love that you talk about, you know, modeling that and then, you know, doing it for us, but also bring your students in to allow them to kind of have a tool that has nothing to do with music that is important and can really make an impact on their lives in so many different ways. Right. Because how, how are they going to participate in that music class if they're not regulated? I mean, we all know how that goes. It's a disaster, right? I mean, when you're in a room with five-year-olds and they, you know, just survived a pandemic and they're coming in and they had a bad math session with their teacher the day before or, or the, the, the time before that your, your music class and they come in, unless you're taking a moment to regulate, like what, how is that music class going to go? 
exactly. It's, there's so much more than just the content that we need to remember. Um, and the, also just the reality that these are little people. They're not just, you know, students or cogs in a machine. They are unique individuals just like we are. Yes. And I'll tell you, you know, I, I share this because the teachers that I work with do this with their kids. They do this with their kindergartners. I had a, a music teacher um, a couple of weeks ago share with me. Oh, gosh, it was probably it was it was in before June. Wow. It was more than a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> oh, gosh, time flies. But she shared with me this this moment where she needed to she was feeling some stuff. And she knew that she needed to regulate her nervous system, but breathing just wasn't going to cut it. She was just like feeling really angsty, right? And her second graders came in and they too were feeling a little bit angsty. And because she knew about the importance of self-regulation, she knew some of the the skills and the the strategies that she can use. One of the things that I like to share is sometimes like a primal scream is really great to just get out those emotions because emotions, again, live in the body. So we have to process them physically. We can't just talk our way out of them. So she said to her class, you know, you ever feel like you just need to like scream? And they were like, yeah. (laughs) So she said, okay, well, what if, you know, on the count of three, we're just going to have this really big, good scream. And they're like, yeah. So like, okay, so one, two, three. And the whole class was just like, ah, right. And she felt better. The kids felt better. And they had a beautiful rest of the class. (laughs) And, you know, so, and they all gained a skill, right? You know, if this, this six-year-old, this seven-year-old is angry and all the adults around them are telling them how they cannot behave to express themselves, that anger has to go somewhere, right? But here, when we're talking about emotional processing, there are ways that are healthy, that are safe, to really move through these feelings that we have so we can get to the other side and do whatever it is we want to do. So, you know, bringing it back to feelings of burnout, you know, like I said, burnout is a, is a symptom and we can't fix the problems in front of us if we're in survival mode. It just doesn't work that way. I love the, the idea that burnout is is the symptom, you know, it's not the cause because I think a lot of us, including myself, think about it the wrong way. And you're like, how can I battle burnout when really you're not trying to battle burnout? You're trying to battle whatever's causing the burnout. Um, And, you know, if you're trying to battle burnout, instead of thinking about what is causing that, you're never going to get far enough. Um, So I, I have a lot to think about (laughs) with, with that different thing. Um, So I know that we've talked about, or you've talked about in the past. um, And then when we were talking about, you know, what we wanted to chat about today, this idea of a sacrifice and a renewal cycle. So I'd love for you to dive in a little bit and talk about what that is and why it's important. Sure. So this idea that, you know, I'll just go to sleep and I'll be fine in the morning. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Rest does not equal renewal right? And so I think about it like this. You wake up in the morning and let's just say you have, you know, 10 units of resources. And by resources, I mean time, energy, attention, right? Um, you get up late because you press snooze a couple times because you've been exhausted all week. 
and you get in the car and you realize that the train is coming through and where I am in central New York, the train sometimes takes seven to 10 minutes. (laughs) So you're frustrated as you're sitting in the car, you spill your coffee, you get to work just in time. And all of a sudden, you know, three or four of those 10 resources are gone and you haven't even started your day yet. Okay. And then you go through your day and there's a difficult interaction with a child. There is a little bit of a conflict with a TA. Your administrator walked by and didn't say hello to you. And you made some meaning out of that. That's, that's three more. Okay. Um, so by the time you get home, you're down to maybe three. And if you're lucky, you go to sleep and there's one left. But when you wake up the next morning, you don't start with 10 anymore. Right. And so the renewal part of the sacrifice renewal cycle is how you're going to actually fill your cup. And while sometimes it's, you know, sitting on the couch and binging some Netflix, that is not consistently going to be the way that you're going to fill your cup. A lot of times we do things to self-soothe, like zoning out on the couch, like overeating. You know, for me, it was always reaching for the chocolate ice cream in the freezer, um, drinking, right? Um, But the things that are actually going to renew you are there, there are four specific things. The first one is mindfulness. And by mindfulness, I don't mean, you know, sitting around humming, singing Kumbaya, although if that's your jam, awesome. Mindfulness is any sort of practice that's going to center you and make you become more aware of yourself in the moment. So that could be through a meditation practice. It could be through prayer. It could be through a walk in nature. It could be through yoga. It could be through a gratitude practice. Okay. Anything that centers you and creates some sort of intention inward to yourself. The second thing is hope. And that's about, you know, dreaming of the future, visualizing, you know, getting excited about the concert you're going to go to with your friends on the weekend or dinner with your partner or a vacation that you're dreaming about, right? That's those kinds of things elevate your, all your feel good hormones. Um, and it's going to make you feel an elevated emotion, an elevated emotional state. The third thing is compassion. And especially in an industry like us in in education where we're giving and giving and giving, this is really important that we don't confuse this. Um, The compassion that I'm talking about for this that is renewing is snuggling up with your dog or taking your dog for a walk, um, going on date night with your partner, um, going out with friends for dinner, right? These kinds of things that are going to fill you up through connection with other people. And then the last thing is joy and playfulness and laughter. And these are things that we forget about because we're adults and we take everything so damn seriously all the time. (laughs) So, you know, if you notice, you know, even me having this conversation with you about something so serious as burnout, you know, I laugh a lot because that's important to me. And I realize that when we add levity to our lives, I am consistently renewing myself because I do give so much and I want to give so much and I want to have a big impact on this world. And that means that my renewal part of my cycle needs to be just as robust. That is such an interesting way to think about it. Like I, 
I think it's simplistic in all the ways that it needs to be, you know, think thinking about video games, you know, you have these many credits that, you know, these many heart points or whatever, and, you know, you have to build those back up before you're able to try things again. And I love the idea that um, we need to understand that we're not just going to wake up and have all of that full and ready to go. Um, because that is, I really like that. You're, you're kind of blowing my mind. Like, I, I think that that's a really great way for even for just me to think about it and how I kind of re um, rejuvenate myself and, and kind of renew myself instead of just spending, spending, spending and, and hoping that waking up the next morning will be enough for me to keep going for another couple of days. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I love that analogy to those video game hearts. You know, I, I'm a OG Nintendo girl. <laughs> So yeah, I, I totally get that that analogy and, and you're absolutely right, you know, and, and here's the thing, right? And this is where I think some people can be like, well, wait a minute, Jen, you know, we're not self-caring and mindfulnessing ourselves into fixing all these systemic problems that we have at school. No, that's ridiculous, right? Like that's not what we're doing. What we're doing is we're, we are focusing inward. So our nervous systems are regulated so we can actually face the problems that exist and create actual solutions that will make a difference in this world instead of pointing fingers on everything and everyone else that's to blame externally and wondering why we're still feeling burnout. The thing that has to change is you. The thing that is the variable in every situation is you. Wherever you go, there you are. And in order to make external change, you have to do the introspective work, period. I think you bring up a really good point where, you know, we can do all this self-care. We can try our hardest to do what we can to present burn, or to prevent burnout. But the reality is, to some degree, we have to advocate for change. We have to say, I can't do this. You know, I'm sorry, I can't take this on the play plate right now. That's not something I'm able to do. And I think as teachers, we can be we can easily get stuck in the, well, it's just one more thing. So or, here's, well, yeah, you know, it, well, I'm going to interrupt you. And I know I'm like making a really big podcast faux pas by interrupting you. But I want to I want to just just point something out is that, you know, instead of I can't, it's I won't. And there's power in that. There's that's your power, Bryson. It's not I can't. It's I won't stay after 3:30 today because my value right now is me. Right? I won't participate in this extra com- committee unless I'm getting financially compensated because my time is valuable somewhere else right now. And and that small switch in language that's how you step into your power. The changes that we need to make come from language like that, where everyone feels powerful enough to say, yes, I am fully available for this, or no, I am not available for this. And that's when we start to make some traction. I love that shift in language because I think, again, we're, we're not saying, you know, I, I can do this, but I'm choosing not to, you know, I, I'm choosing to do something else. I'm choosing to take care of myself. I'm choosing to hang out with my family that night instead. You know, so I, I think that is a really important distinction. So I'm glad you interrupted me and, and brought that up <laughs> because that is a wonderful shift. And I love how you say we're kind of taking some of that power back, which I think is something that is incredibly important as well. Yes. Yes, it, it is. Because even when you just were saying those things, those examples, like, it's powerful. It is so powerful. I I won't do this. I will do this. I'm not available for this. I am very available for this. Yeah. And I, I think that's a great thing that we need to kind of uh, view all these things through is, you know, can you do this or are you choosing not to? Because 
if you're if you're choosing to do it, that's fine. But make sure that it's a choice that you are deciding that this is what's important to you in this moment. And speaking of, you know, important in the moment, let's talk about work life balance. Um, so first, I'd love to, for your opinions on is there such a thing as work life balance, and how does that work? <laughs> so. I don't actually like to use the phrase work-life balance because to me, I, I have this, you know, you know, the, um, the, that page in Cat in the Hat where the fish is like on top of all of the things and everyone's balancing everything on everything else. And it's just, it's a disaster. What happens? Everything falls down. It's a hot mess that everyone needs to clean up later. So balance to me, that word alone, when it comes to work-life just gives me this feeling of, of tension and stress. So I like to think about it instead of balance as work-life blend, because what that allows is a little bit more fluidity in between these things. Sometimes work is going to take up more of your time because you're choosing to have it take up more of your time. Sometimes your home life is going to take up more of your time because you are choosing to have that take up more of your time. And I really like to think about this, like remember in art class when you would like do those pastels and you'd have the red and the yellow and you'd smoosh them together to make some orange. And sometimes it'd be more red and be darker. And sometimes it'd be more yellow and be lighter. You have the ability to choose because again, just like you were saying before, Bryson, everything's a choice. And when we're balancing, it feels like we don't have choices because if we move something one way, something else has to give just by default. But when we're thinking about blend, Again, we're stepping into our power and deciding, you know, what gets what, where are our resources going? And we are completely the center of those decisions. I love the idea of blend because, again, I've always tried to balance things and I have a, a very similar picture in my head where, you know, I'm just holding all these things and try to keep them all up in the air and then all of a sudden they all come crashing down. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to chat about how can we find that blend that works for us either in the moment or, you know, and then once we find that, how do we advocate for that when sometimes things that people other want us to do might be incompatible with that blend that we're looking for? So again, how do we know? Listen to your body. <laughs> I mean, it's it sounds simplistic and, and and truthfully it is. It's not always easy because we don't we, we haven't learned how to listen to our body. We've learned actually the opposite, to ignore our body and just push through and carry on and tough it out and keep it together. That's not working, right? So your body knows when you feel a dip in your energy, a, like a a pinch in your in the pit of your stomach. That is something happening where your body feels out of alignment. Your body, again, is talking to you all the time. So when you are saying yes to something that you really want to say no to and you shrink or all of a sudden you lose your voice where you can't speak up and speak your mind um, or your posture changes or you have that little tingle that happens physically, that's real that's what's real. And those are the things you have to start listening to. You know, I wish there could be just a magic wand in all of this. And I can say, oh, well, if you just follow these three simple steps, then you won't ever feel burned out again. It's really about you and listening to you. And again, going back to be, being worthy of listening to yourself. Self-trust is a really big piece of this. And then once you get there, you can really start placing boundaries. Um, I just did a beautiful workshop about boundaries the other day. And the thing when we, when we initially think about boundaries, it seems scary. It seems confronting. It, it, it might bring up things, well, I'm going to create conflict. 
images of fences and walls, right? (laughs) But for me, boundaries are doors. A boundary is a door because there are conditions to come into this door. And if you meet the conditions to come into this door, please come in. I want you to come in. And if you aren't able to meet the conditions of this door, well, well, here's the door. (laughs) Goodbye. Here's the door, right? And it's getting comfortable with understanding that boundaries are love. Boundaries are how you honor yourself. Boundaries are how you honor the people around you and the relationships that you have. Because otherwise, again, we're going back to doing things out of obligation, expectation, martyrdom, selflessness, and we feel like crap. And if that's the alternative, no thank you. Let's learn how we make healthy boundaries. I I just have I can't help but think of all the things that I need to do, like un- to unpack my own um just how I live my own life after this after this interview. So I really <laughs> I'm loving this. Um so thank you so much. Um before we head out for today, I would love for you to let us know what is something like super actionable that a teacher that is really struggling, or maybe they say, Hey, I have some of those signs that you were talking about. What is something they can do this week to help battle that burnout and kind of start putting that fire out a little bit? Sure. Well, first of all, Bryson, I want to say, you know, you are in good company, right? That like I said before, the things that I do teach, share are all things I do myself every single day. Um, this is just part of being human. So I, I wanna I wanna just put that perspective out there for you and for everyone who's listening who's like, oh my gosh, what beautiful awareness now we have we have more information. When we know better, we do better, right? So let's just celebrate that for a second. The way we've been living our lives up until now have have gotten us to this point. Great. And now we get to make a new choice. And as far as an actionable step, I really think that the easiest, most accessible thing that you can do are those breathing alarms because they are going to interrupt your autopilot. 95 to 97% of the time we go through our days on autopilot and default operating with our subconscious leading the way because that's how our brains work, which is amazing. Our brains are so efficient because we are able to do all of these amazing things all at the same time, right? However, if we're only operating on a conscious level from three to 5%, it's not very much. And what these breathing alarms are going to be doing for you is you are going to interrupt your day where your life happens and you're feeling the feelings and you're thinking the thinkings and it's you're thinking the thinkings, you're thinking the thoughts (laughs) and you are going to interrupt and notice, huh, I was thinking crappy and feeling crappy. That's interesting. And then you can bring that subconscious choice, that subconscious action that you were in the middle of to a conscious level where you can make a different choice. And this is a practice. It is a skill. And the more you do it, the easier it becomes. And if the alarms are a thing where you're like, well, I don't know about my days and how this is going to go. Great. Set it up with different class periods. Set it up before you walk into the building, before school, when you're still in your car, your lunch period, When you go to the bathroom, please make sure you go to the bathroom, right? Talk about self-care. Before you get home, when you get into the car, before you get home. And if you do it with your class during the day, great, you're giving them a tool also. Um, But this is going to be a way for you to notice. And here's the thing about this too. You don't have to make a commitment to this forever. You know, 
if you're listening to this on, you know, during the week, do it to the end of the week and just see how it goes. Right. It's an experiment. Just see. Um, so that I think is the, is probably the most accessible and helpful things that someone can do starting today. All right. Well, I definitely have a list of things that I want to try and, and even more than just things I want to try, a lot of things that I want to be aware of Ooh. and just kind of see if I can increase those those moments of awareness myself. Um, I loved this conversation. I hope my audience does too. Um, but I know that I'm going to definitely going to have people that are going to be wanting to reach out to you and connect with you more. So where can we connect with you online? Sure. There's a couple of places. So if you go to my website, which is empowerededucator.com slash resources, or if you just click on it from the homepage of empowerededucator.com, there are two free resources there for you. One is 10 Ways to Beat the Burnout. And really, it's just different exercises and strategies to get you thinking about how to be more self-aware and then the self-regulation skills as to how do you calm your nervous system. And then the second one is a free ebook where it's 24 ways to find calm in your busy world. Because a lot of times people are like, Jen, I don't even have time. I don't even know where to find the calm. Well, I did it for you. <laughs> I'm like giving you the things. And this can be part of your renewal, part of that sacrifice renewal cycle. And then the last place where it's, it's a really great community is on Facebook at Empowered Educator Faculty Room. And that's where you'll also get a lot of content from me and most importantly, community with other educators who are actively doing this work every day. Alrighty. Well, I'll be sure to put all those links in the description. Jen, thank you so much for chatting with us today. Um, I really, really think there's a lot of actionable stuff that we can find, um, depending on which stage of burnout you think you might already be in, or maybe you're thinking you're sitting there going, oh, wait a minute, this, this sounds like me. Um, so thank you so much for chatting with me. Um, I really appreciate you taking some time and sharing your wonderful expertise with my audience. My pleasure, Bryson. It's always great to talk with you too. Alrighty. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. I know I definitely have a lot of work to do in my own life to try to balance all of the many things that I like to do all at once. Um, we'll also making sure that I'm taking care of myself so that I can do all the cool things that I want to do with my students and with you here um, on the podcast. Um, so I will definitely put all of those links in the podcast show notes. Um, if you're feeling a little overwhelmed with all the things that you're doing in your teaching life and you are ready to take a a little bit of a step with a free guide to help you uh, taking some first steps towards feeling confident and empowered in the elementary music classroom, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash newbie to download your free elementary music newbie guide. That's thatmusicteacher.com slash N-E-W-B-I-E. If you like the episode, I would be forever in your debt if you were to share this with another elementary music teacher or tag us on Instagram at that music teacher. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. That really helps me figure out, you know, what do we want more of? What are you guys liking about the podcast? And it helps us reach new audiences.